our Bibles to Psalm 119 and verse 145 to 152. Psalm 119, we will pick up in verse 145, and we only have uh, three more weeks after today, so four counting today, and we will conclude our study of this great and glorious Psalm 119. Psalm 119, 145, there the word of Christ says this, I cried with all of my heart, answer me, O Lord, I will observe your statutes. I cried to you, save me, and I shall keep your testimonies. I rise before dawn and cry for help, I wait for your words. My eyes anticipate the night watches, that I may meditate on your word. Hear my voice according to your loving kindness. Revive me, O Lord, according to your ordinances. Those who follow after wickedness draw near. They are far from your law. You are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are truth. Of old I have known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. And Lord, we do know, Lord, that your word has been established from of old. Lord, that you have founded them from forever, and that all your commandments are truth. Lord, we pray that this conviction, Lord, would lead us and guide us all the days of our life, and that, Lord, we would never doubt or stray from your word and your commandment. So, Lord, help us today, Lord, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, in Genesis chapter 47, verses 8 to 9, there we have a testimony of Jacob after he arrived in Egypt and stood before Pharaoh. And this is his testimony concerning his own life. There it says, Then Pharaoh said to Jacob, How many years have you lived? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The years of my sojourning are 130. Few and unpleasant have been the years of my life, nor have they attained to the years that my fathers lived during the days of their sojourning. There, Jacob says, few and unpleasant are the days of his life. Few, because any life, even a long life like Jacob, 130 years, is few in comparison to the life to come, right? In comparison to eternity. That all of our lives are but a vapor. We are like grass that appears one day and then quickly withers and dies. And likely none of us will live to be as old as Jacob. And then also he says unpleasant, unpleasant because of the many sufferings and hardships that he faced throughout his life. But when we read the account of Jacob in Genesis, we see that he faced many and various kinds of hardships. Now, when he says this, he's not an ungrateful man for the life that God has given to him. He's not discounting the blessings that God has given to his life, but he's simply being honest about what has been true of him over the course of his life. What was consistently true of his life is many hardships, many sufferings, many tribulations that he faced. And as a result, he had an unpleasant life, right? Unpleasant in terms of the circumstances that he faced during the course of his life. And this pattern was seen not only in Jacob, but it was true in all the patriarchs. It was true of Abraham. It was true of Isaac. It was certainly true of Jacob. It was true of Joseph. All of them faced many hardships over the course of their sojourning on earth. And this will be true, this pattern 
it will be true for all of God's people. As it says in Acts 14, 22, it is through many tribulations that we must enter the kingdom of God. Even unbelievers face hardships in life, right? There's not one single person who enjoys a life of complete, right, uninterrupted rest, uninterrupted comfort, peace, and tranquility. This is the way it is for all men. As it says in Job 5, 7, for man is born for trouble as sparks fly upward. Trouble is common to man. This is the way it is. But what do we do when trouble arises? How do we face the many troubles of life when they come upon us? And this will make a distinction between the righteous and the wicked. Many people turn to sin, right? The wicked cannot cope with the hardships of life. There are those who indulge in alcohol or drugs, whether those be prescribed or illicit drugs. There are some who will seek to entertain themselves to death so as to forget about all their worries. Others will indulge in hobbies and recreation or TV so that they don't have to think about all the hardships that they are going through. Others will uproot their life and move to another part of the country or another part of the world, so hoping that their troubles will not follow them. But what should we do? What should we do when we face hardships, when we have our share of sufferings and tribulations, right? Where should we go and how are we to respond to these things? The prophet David teaches us in our passage today, for he was a man who also faced his fair share of sufferings and hardships, but he did not turn to sin, but rather he turned to the Lord. He cried out to God and sought God in his word. And this is how we must be as well. Just as a little child cries for his mother or for his father when he is hurt or in need of comfort, so the child of God should cry out to his heavenly father, right? Whenever he is in need of comfort in his hour of need, he should seek comfort and consolation, not in the world, but in God's holy word. This is where we should go. So let's go to Psalm 119. And let's read verses 145 and 146. There it says, I cried with all of my heart. Answer me, O Lord. I will observe your statutes. I cried to you, save me, and I shall keep your testimonies. Here he shows his fervency of his prayers to God. The prophet David does not pray, and then five minutes later, give up and forget and forsake the Lord because God has not given him what he requested. He's not a feeble, fickle man, who, but rather is one who is completely dependent upon the Lord. And he is confident that God will answer him. He is crying out to God with the expectation that God will answer him and that God will deliver him in due time. And he's coming to God as a humble beggar. He's not an entitled brat, but as a sorrowful, humble beggar who knows that he cannot demand anything from the Lord, but who can ask, he can beg, he can cry out to God for God to be merciful to him. He knows that God comes to the aid of those who fear him, that God will deliver his children when they cry to him for mercy in their time of need. And so he's crying out to God. It says in Hebrews 4.16, Therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy 
and find grace to help in time of need. His crying out shows his persistence. This is how we must pray. We must pray with persistence. We must pray with perseverance. We must be like the persistent neighbor or like the persistent widow from the parables of Christ who would not give up, who cried out over and over again until they received what it is that they sought. Luke 11, Luke chapter 11, verses 5 to 13. Luke 11, verse 5. It says, Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and goes to him at night, at midnight, and says to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has come to me from a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside, he answers and says, Do not bother me. The door has already been shut, and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he is asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So there, the friend would not get up because he was his friend, but because of the persistence he got up and gave him what he desired. And so we are taught that we must be persistent in our cries to God, crying out to him day and night, asking God for mercy to help in our time of need. Also, Luke 18. Luke 18, verses 1 to 8. Luke 18, 1 says... Now, he was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, In a certain city there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. There was a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him, saying, Give me legal protection from my opponent. For a while he was unwilling, but afterward he said to himself, Even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection, otherwise by continually coming, she will wear me out. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now will not God bring about justice for his elect, who cry to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Here, if the unrighteous judge who has no concern for justice and righteousness, but if he was unwilling to give this widow justice, legal protection, because she was crying out to him day after day after day just to get her to quit, then how much more will God, who does love justice and righteousness, who does love his children and wants to give them protection, how much more will he protect us when we cry out to him day and night? 
right? In both cases, both the friend and the widow, both of them did not give up. They did not lose heart, but continued crying out until they received what they desired. And so we should not lose heart. God calls us to cry to him day and night, right? God has the ability and God has the desire to help his children, right? To save his children from all of their enemies. So if God is delayed, if God seems to be silent or distant from our plight, it is not because God is distracted. It is not because God has forsaken us. It is not because he does not want to help, but rather it is for our good for our testing to teach us to trust in him and to persevere in the faith, right? Our memory verse says, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength and whose heart turns away from the Lord, Jeremiah 17, 5. But the corresponding verse to that in Jeremiah 17, 7 says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is in the Lord. This is what the prophet David understands, and this is why he cries to the Lord day and night. He's not turning to men for help. He's not turning to the things of the world for comfort. He's going to the Lord and trusting that God will come to his aid and that God will bless him in due time. And so we also should cry to God in our time of need. Every day we should cry to the Lord, right? Not merely as our duty, and not casually or nonchalantly, but with all our heart as the prophet David. Also notice here, he wants God's help, right? Not for the sake of having an easy, carefree life, but for the purpose of obedience. He says, I will observe your statutes. I shall keep your testimonies. He wants God to deliver him so that he might observe his commandments with greater zeal, right? The trials of life, they can distract us. They weigh us down. They consume our time and our thoughts. He wants God's grace so that he might be equipped more and more to serve the Lord. Also, he's not a hypocrite, right? He's not one of these uh, flash-in-the-pan Christians who gets a little bit of religion during hardships, but as soon as the hardship is over, they abandon the Lord and they go back to their former manner of life. Are there not many people like this? Aren't there many people who turn to God during some crisis? Whenever they go through a hardship, some sickness, some disease, some family crisis, all of a sudden they become very religious. They get a little bit of religion. They become Christians. They get baptized. They attend the church. But then when the crisis is over, you look up and what happens? They're gone and you never see them again. They use God to get them through the crisis, but they have no intention of serving him, of obeying him, of being a lifelong disciple of Christ. But the prophet David is no such Christian. He's not one of these temporary Christians. He wants to serve the Lord by observing his statutes his whole life. And he wants God to deliver him so that he can, with more fervor and more intensity and more focus, serve the Lord. That's what he wants to do. Psalm 119, 147, and 148. It says, I rise before dawn and cry for help. I wait for your words. 
my eyes anticipate the night watches, that I may meditate on your word. Here all the time, whether it's early in the morning or late at night, he's crying out to God for help in meditating on God's word. This is the same as 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. There it says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Here he rises before the dawn to cry to God for help. The moment he wakes, the first thing on his mind, his first action of the day is offering a prayer to God, crying to God for help. His first conscious act in the morning is praying to God for God to help us. He wakes every day with an understanding of his own limits, his own uh, dependence on God, his own helplessness. He wakes conscious of the fact that God alone can sustain his life. That if he is going to make it through another day, he must have the mercy of God. So he cries to God for help every single morning. And then he waits for God to answer him from his holy word. He says, my eyes anticipate the night watches that I may meditate on your word. He wants the night watches because he knows in the night, during the night watch, there's not going to be any distractions. It's going to be still. It's going to be quiet. There's not going to be the busyness of the day that is being conducted. No errands to run. There's no one that's going to take his time and his attention. But rather in the night watches, he is alone. It is still. It is quiet. It is peaceful. And now he can focus his mind and meditate on the word of God. The night watches would refer to a soldier or a guard who's stationed at his post watching over the city. And isn't it true that typically during the night watch, though it has to be done every night, typically it's a very uneventful job. Nothing happens, right? You're just there by yourself watching over the city and nothing happens. Everything is still and quiet. Everyone else is asleep and there's nothing significant that happens. Well, he anticipates, he wants this night watch because he knows that it's going to give him the opportunity to meditate on the word of God. He can faithfully discharge his duty as a night watchman while simultaneously meditating on the word of God. He's not using this time to be a derelict. He's not sleeping during the night watch. He isn't using it to meditate and think about sin. That's what evil people do. But instead, he's using it as an opportunity to meditate on the word of God. He always wants to be thinking about the word of God. And this is the way that we should be as well. Psalm 1. Psalm 1 Verses 1 and 2, in speaking of the righteous man, the blessed man, this is one of the characteristics that is described there. Psalm 1 says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Day and night. He is meditating on the word of God. Isn't that the same as what we read in Psalm 119? Early in the morning, before the dawn, in the night watches, whatever time of day, it doesn't matter. Early in the morning, late at night, he's meditating on the word of God. 
Also, Psalm 3, while we're here. Psalm 3, verses 3 to 6. says, But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the one who lifts my head. I was crying to the Lord with my voice, and he answered me from his holy mountain. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustains me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me round about. Here, because he's, he's not afraid because he is meditating on the word of God. He's relying on the Lord, depending on him. Psalm 119, 149. Verse 149 says, Hear my voice according to your loving kindness. Revive me, O Lord, according to your ordinances. He does not want his prayers to go unanswered. He wants God to hear him, and he wants God to be gracious to him. But this is based not upon a demand, not upon some entitlement that obligates God to answer him, but rather it's based on the loving kindness of the Lord. Hear my voice according to your mercy, according to your loving kindness. We remember in Psalm 119, 132, It says, turn to me and be gracious to me after your manner with those who love your name. He knows that this is God's pattern. This is the manner of God, right? Those that love his name, God gives his grace to them. God is merciful to them. God hears their prayers. And when God hears our prayers, when he answers them according to his will, then God is showing us his mercy, his loving kindness. And here, God's loving kindness will be shown to him by reviving him according to God's ordinances. This when the Spirit of grace who dwells within the believer, by his power and his influence, he controls us and gives this the ability to overcome sin and live a godly life, which is what he wants. Revival. Revive me according to your ordinances. Right? When this happens... When the Spirit of God revives us, when it takes place in our heart, it always leads us to obedience to God. God will never revive a man so that he can go live in sin, but only that he might be obedient to God. The Spirit of Christ will never teach us to break God's commandments. He will never lead us to turn away and contradict the Word of God. The Spirit always works in unison with the Bible never without the Bible, and never in opposition to the Word of God, but always in unison with the Bible, which is a far cry from what you see in many churches today. Even many churches who claim to be focused on the Spirit, who claim to be filled with the Spirit, who say that the Spirit is with them, and yet they give little to no time and attention to the Word of God. But how can the Spirit be there without the Word of God? When the Spirit revives us, it's always according to the Word of God, according to the ordinances of God. It says in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3. 1 Corinthians 12, 3 says, Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will never lead us. He will never revive us so that we wake up and rise up and say, Jesus is accursed. That's never going to happen. 
But when the Spirit revives a man truly, what is that man going to say? Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And then, he's not just going to say Jesus is Lord. He's going to live it. He's going to live that truth out, and it will be manifested in his life. Verse 150. Psalm 119, 150. Those who follow after wickedness draw near. They are far from your law. Here he says the wicked draw near to him. And why would the wicked want to draw near to the righteous? Certainly not to help him. Certainly not to comfort him. They're not coming to him saying, hey, will you teach us how to be wise like you? Will you teach us how to live a godly life the way that you do? No, they're not doing it in that way. They're drawing near in order to persecute him, in order to torment him, in order to taunt him and to ridicule him. They want to find some way to commit evil against him because of his righteousness. Because he is near to the Lord, the wicked want to be near him to destroy him in order to persecute him. Psalm 22. Psalm 22 verses 11 to 18. This is a messianic psalm about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And this is what was true of him. Psalm 22, verse 11. It says, Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me, Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They open wide their mouth at me as a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaves to my jaws. And you lay me in the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers has encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look, they stare at me, they divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. There, he says, strong bulls, strong bulls of Bashan have encircled him. Dogs, he says, have surrounded me. A band of evildoers have encompassed me. And why did this happen to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Well, certainly not because of any sin that he committed. But because he was righteous and they love evil, they were wicked and they love darkness rather than light. Also, back to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, verse 150. Notice here as well that the wicked, notice how they are defined as those who depart from God's law or who are far from your law. The wicked are near the righteous to do evil, but they are far from God because they do not live according to the word of God. But instead, they live according to their own evil desires. Notice in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verses 5 to 8. It describes this same truth in another way. Romans 8, verse 5. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, 
But the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile towards God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. There, the fleshly mind that is hostile to God is not subject to the law of God, not subject to God's law. Well, that is the same as here. They are far from your law. They do not submit themselves to the law of God. Though they know the law of God, because of Romans 2, it's written on their heart, and even many of them have been taught in one way or another some aspect of the law of God, of the word of God, but they don't subject themselves to it. They are far from keeping it because they love their sin. This is what it is to commit sin against God. To be a wicked man is to be far from the law of God. As it says in 1 John 3 verse 4, Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. Sin is itself lawlessness, or being far from the law of God. Psalm 119, verse 151. You are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are true. While it is true that the wicked have drawn near to him, and the wicked are a visible, physical threat, that he sees them with his physical eyes. He hears them with his physical ears. But it is also true that God is near to him, and he sees the Lord with his spiritual eyes, and he sees him with his, or hears him with his spiritual ears. And this is his comfort. This is his consolation. This is why he is not afraid. What can the wicked do to him since God is near to him? Yes, the wicked are near, but they're not nearer than the Lord because where is God found? He's in his heart. The wicked are external, but the Lord is himself within him. So he is near to him and God will help him and deliver him from all of their mischief. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 20, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Christ is with us always, and he will never leave us. He will never forsake his people. So even when the wicked draw near, even when they're right there upon us, we need not fear because Christ is with us and he will not forsake us and they will not be able to so much as harm a hair on our head apart from the will of our Father in heaven. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 says, Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have, for he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you, so that we may confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? What can man do to me if God is on our side? If God is our helper, if God is for us, then who can be against us? When the Lord is near, when he is on our side, then we do not need to be afraid of man. Because what can any man do to us apart from the will of God? It is impossible that they could harm us, 
that they could touch us, that they could do anything to us. So why should we be afraid of men, seeing that our God is near to the brokenhearted, and he will never leave us, he will never forsake us, but he will help us during our time of need. Yes, it is true. The wicked will draw near to the righteous. They will come near to do evil to them. But they are not merely fighting against us. They are fighting against our God. They are opposing the God of heaven. They are opposing the Lord of hosts. And who can slay all of them with the word of his mouth? Doesn't God have the ability to do that? Doesn't Jesus Christ have the ability to kill every single wicked person on the face of the earth with the breath of his mouth? He can do it in an instant if he wants. Doesn't he also have thousands upon thousands of holy angels that he can dispatch at a moment's notice and that they can come and deliver his people as well? He can do whatever he wants. So what can a man do to us? And yet what do we often find? We find that we are fearful. We are overcome with fear, which is what Jesus said on Wednesday night in Matthew 14. Oh, you of little faith. This is the problem. We have little faith because we don't believe in the nearness of God, the nearness of God to his people. But we must be convinced of this truth. The prophet David, he was convinced of it. He knew it to be true. He had seen it manifested in his life time and time again that God is able to deliver, even in circumstances where it seems impossible. 1 Samuel 17 1 Samuel 17, verses 41 to 47. First Samuel 17, 41. It says, Then the Philistine came on and approached David with the shield bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David... He disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy with a handsome appearance. The Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you have come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine also said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. And I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Then it happened that when the Philistine rose and came and drew near to meet David, that David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand into his bag and took from it a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. And as the stone sank into his forehead, so that he fell on his face to the ground. So there you have it. He prevailed over him in the name of the Lord, right? He prevailed not by his physical strength, 
not by his might, not by his ability as a warrior, but he prevailed over him by the help of the Lord. And God gave him a great victory that day. Also, 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 15 to 17. This is when Elisha and his attendant were surrounded. They were in the city, and the city was surrounded by a great military, a great physical imposing threat. 2 Kings 6.15 Now when the attendant of the man of God had risen early and gone out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was encircling the city. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, I pray, open his eyes and he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. There, those who are with us are more than those who are against us. More than they have are on our side. So we need not be afraid. We need to believe what the word of God says, that God is near to his people and that God will deliver them in their time of need. Also in verse 151, he says, all your commandments are truth. All of them, not some of them, but all of God's commandments are true. We cannot cherry pick from the word of God. We cannot pick and choose some commandments based upon our own sinful agenda, based on what we want, and then reject other parts of the word of God. We must believe all of the Bible. All of God's commandments are true. Any subject that the Bible addresses, our immediate reaction should be agreement, to affirm it, to say yes and amen to what the Word of God says, and never to reject it or contradict it. Verse 152. Psalm 119, 152 says, of old I have known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. Of old, he says, I have known of your testimonies. Now this he means not in relation to the age of the earth, though it is true as well that from old, from ancient days, this is true, that God's testimonies have been founded forever. Here he means it in relation to his own life, to what he knows to be true. From of old, from the early days of my life, I have known this to be true, and I still believe it to be true, even later in my life. He was taught early on, just as Timothy was taught from childhood about the sacred writings. So David was taught, and even from a youth, he knew and believed and understood that the word of God was true, and that it had been founded by God forever. 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1 Verses 3 to 7. Second Timothy 1 verse 3. says, I thank God, whom I serve with a clear conscience, the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you, even as I recall your tears, so that I may be filled with joy. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, 
which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Then also chapter 3, chapter 3, verse 14. Chapter 3.14 says, You, however, continue in the things that you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. There, Timothy, from his childhood, from his grandmother and mother, were taught the sacred writings. And one of the truths that they would have instilled into Timothy at a very early age was that God's word was true without any mixture of error, and that God's word had been founded forever from all eternity in that it came from God. Well, this same conviction the prophet David had in his youth as well. From of old, from his early days, he was taught that the Bible was the word of God and that it had been founded forever. And he believed that the Bible was dealing not with temporal things associated merely with this life, but that the Bible was addressing eternal issues, issues of eternal life and eternal death. And this is why he loved the word of God so much, because the word of God is what gave him the wisdom that led to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. This is as it says in 2 Peter 1, 16 to 21. 2 Peter 1, 16 says, For we do not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made known to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So we have the prophetic word made more sure, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the, dawn, till the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. This is what the prophet David knows to be true. This was his conviction, that God's word was true, and that God's word would last forever from generation to generation and for all eternity. And all the Christians of the Old Testament had this conviction. And all Christians today must believe this to be true. This is one of the first principles of the Christian life. We must believe the Bible to be the word of God. We must believe that the Bible is true without any mixture of error. And we must believe that the Bible... The truths of the Bible will endure for all eternity. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. The Bible is 
not for temporary purposes, but for eternal purposes given to us by God to prepare us for the life to come. The prophet David knew this. He believed it from childhood. And this is why he built his life upon the word of God. And if we would be wise like he is, then we also must listen to his testimony and build our life on the word of God. It says in Psalm 119, 19, I am a stranger in the earth. Do not hide your commandments from me. I am a stranger, meaning this earth is temporary. I am a temporary dweller on this earth, but I'm going to the life to come, and I need to be prepared for the life to come, and what is going to prepare me to enter into the life to come? The word of God, the commandments of God. We are sojourners, he says. In 1 Chronicles 29, 15, the prophet David says, we are sojourners before you and tenants as all of our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow, and there is no hope. We must believe this. We read that even this morning in Psalm 39. We must have this understanding that our life is a vapor. We are a shadow. We are temporarily here. There is no hope in this present world, and we must be ready for the world to come. And the Word of God is the only only tool that we have in this life to prepare us for the life to come. We must go to God's word and we must have this conviction that whatever God's word says on any subject, it is true and anyone that contradicts it is a liar and we must believe the word of God and prepare ourselves to enter into the life to come. So may that be our goal. May that be our focus. May it be our prayer, right? That God would fill us with wisdom from his word Equipping us not only to do his will now in this life, which we want to do, but ultimately in the life to come, that we would enter into eternal glory with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, Lord, thank and praise you for your word, Lord, that you've given to us. Lord, given to us in order to prepare us for the life to come. Lord, we know that we are strangers on this earth, Lord, tenants, sojourners. Lord, just like all of our fathers, Lord, that our days are but a shadow. We are here for a moment and then we are gone. Lord, even if we live to be 70 or 80 or even 90 years of age, Lord, what is that compared to eternity? Lord, it is nothing. So, Lord, help us to see this and to believe it. Lord, not to be distracted by this present world and the things of this world. Lord, the pursuit of riches, of wealth, of possessions. Lord, we pray that we would be living now, Lord, in preparation for the life to come. Lord, so that we might stand before you, Lord, without shame. Lord, that we would not shrink back at your presence, but that we would be prepared, Lord, having been forgiven of our sins through faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, as well, we pray that as we go through this life, Lord, as we face the many hardships and tribulations, Lord, that are common to all men, Lord, but especially common to all Christian men. Father, we pray that we would turn to you and cry to you for help. Lord, that we would not turn to this world, that we would not go to the things of this world for comfort or help, but rather that we would turn to you and that you would help us during our time of need. 
So, Father, we pray that you would make us dependent on you. Lord, that we would have humility and that we would not be self-reliant or to think that we can, through our own wisdom, our own strength, our own ingenuity, Lord, overcome the various obstacles of life. But that we would be like a child there within the arms of his mother. So, Lord, may this be true of us completely reliant and dependent on you. Lord, trusting in you to help us, to save us, to deliver us, Lord, from all evil, and to safely bring us into your heavenly kingdom. So, Lord, teach us these things, Lord, that we might persevere in this life. And, Lord, may we always remember that, Lord, you are near to those who are brokenhearted. Lord, that you help those who are afflicted. And that, Lord, you will come to the aid of your people. Lord, even though the hardships of this life, they can be so overwhelming to us. But, Lord, may we have faith and see he who is unseen. Lord, may we believe in the invisible God who is near to his people. And, Lord, who will deliver them from all of their troubles. And so, Father, we pray that you do so for us. Lord, we cry to you today. Lord, asking for you to help us and to give us strength, to give us grace during our time of need. So, Lord, be with us, be with your people. Lord, deliver us. And it is in Christ's precious name that we pray. Amen.